0: Legalize freedom. Anal <laughs> Natrach Urfa Spetad Anal Natrach Urfa Doch jell diende, Ende anall natrach ur was betat doch jell die Ende natrach ur was betat doch jell die Ende anall natrach ur was betat doch jell Do sit down, son. Shocks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. Please. Now, those children out there, they're jumping through the flames in the hope that the god of the fire will make them fruitful. Really, you can hardly blame them. After all, what girl would not prefer the child of a god to that of some acne-scarred artisan? And,
1: and you, you encourage them in this?
0: Actively. It's most important that each new generation born on summer I'll be made aware that here the old gods aren't
1: dead. And what of the true God, to whose glory churches and monasteries have been built on these islands for generations past? Now, sir, what of him? He's dead. Can't complain.
0: He had his chance and did modern parlance. Do it. Pentagram. dedicated to Henry Forman. In the year of the primal court and the dawn of terrestrial birth, men mastered the mammoth and thought, Man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam. He harnessed the lightning for hire. He drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the fire. Deep mouthed from their throne, deep seated. The choirs of the eons declare the last of the demons defeated. The man is the lord of the air. Arise, O man, in thy strength, the kingdom is thine to inherit, till the high god's witness things. length, the man is the lord of his spirit.
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Thomas Sheridan, who joins us to discuss his book, Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangeness. In the modern world, we no longer have time for magic, dismissing it as mere mumbo-jumbo from a less enlightened age. One might say, in fact, that the magic has gone out of our lives. Most of us, however, misunderstand just what magic is, a mechanism for manipulating the world around us, which through suppression and since the ascent of the scientific era has mostly faded from memory. Yet this force lives on, and indeed is fundamental to the very fabric of the universe. Probing deeper, we find that most of that which makes up all that apparently exists, in the form of dark matter and dark energy, remains a mystery to modern mainstream science. We discover that conventional notions of time, space and matter are illusions, and that reality is subjective, malleable and made up of myriad unseen, unknown levels. We learn that our beliefs and expectations our desire and will play a part in shaping reality and in doing so we understand that we can manipulate the mechanics of the non-material toward our own ends. Materialist science may reject mind over matter but it's real enough. From particle physics to psychic powers and from Donald Trump to 9-11 we roam the realms where science and sorcery are one and the same, and nothing or nowhere is quite what it seems. Hello and welcome Thomas and thank you so much for joining us yet again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Well it's great to be back Greg, always one of my favourite shows, always a pleasure to be here. Okay, Thomas, today we're going to be talking about your latest book, uh, and amongst many other things, and the book is entitled Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangeness. Just for listeners who are new to your work, give people a little potted bio, and then talk about the process, you know, the gestation of the new book, how that came about.
0: I grew up in Dublin, classics, late 70s, 80s kid, grew up in all that kind of music and scene, went to America played in the band, studied graphic design, ended up working on Wall Street as a corporate communications person, uh, blah, 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 went through the the, the the slings and fortunes of life, as you say, and uh, developed an interest, true kind of an interest in things like cults and serial killers and psychopaths, wrote a book about that called Puzzling People, it was published by a publisher in the UK, it was a bestseller, and it kind of gave me a, a writing career from that point on. And how it brought me to this point? Well, if you go back to even my first book, Puzzling People, it's about similar ideas. It's about how reality is ultimately flexible, it's hackable, it's malleable, and what you, what you desire, or what you indirectly desire, or what you conjure is what you get. And we must be very careful about our thoughts, our deeds, the people we associate with, how we phrase our words, how we have responses, and ultimately, with this new book to deconstruct the idea that magic is something that requires some kind of decades long study into ceremonial rites and conjurations. The reality is that we perform magic every minute of our lives or at least several times an hour. And we don't realize it's magic until someone points it out one day and say, well, you're a result of all these mystical decisions you made in the past. All these conjurations that you performed innocuously that came into fruition and you actually hacked and modified the operating system of the universe to make this happen for you and so that's how i got to this point it was almost like all the books i'd written up at this point the druid code Ambul of the Psyche in the two books on psychopaths, as well as *Valpurgis Night*, there's a common theme of sorcery and magic runs throughout all of the. Especially if, if you're paying attention to the early books on psychopathy, I constantly mention things like the archetype of Lucifer and the importance of that, and also other items like mythology is constant theme throughout all my work. So it should, if you've been follow if people have been following my work for a while, it should not be a surprise that I finally come out of the closet full on in my in this regalia because here it is finally out there.
1: Of course, uh, probably at this early point we should just address the popular misunderstanding of the word sorcery, what that what that is, what that means. And for most people's minds interchangeable magic and yeah. people have got still cliched images that are you know long outdated about what, what magic, what sorcery can be. You know, magic and sorcery is something that was somehow significant in the past but is no longer, when in fact a sort of emerging picture as we advance through our understanding of the fabric and the mechanisms of the universe is actually what would once have been understood as sorcery actually has grounding in what today we would understand as some actual scientific processes. But a lot of this is occurring, as as a lot of science is telling us today, outside of our limited five-sense view of reality you know that that, that our perception is very very narrow so when we look at the world world of uh, particle physics you know and all of that happening beyond our immediate perception there's overlap here like a sort of a venn diagram and we think back to in the past when processes that like for example electricity even though it's not really understood but we kind of feel that we have a handle on that and we've we've uh marshaled it to our everyday use and it's something actually quite mundane would have appeared quite magical um, before people had uh, any understanding of what it was. And it's not like electricity is something we invented, let's face it. It's just something that we've harnessed. So I think what we're trying to explore here and what your book touches on a lot is that uh, the idea of sorcery, the idea of what today is known as science, these are not mutually exclusive by any means. In many cases, people coming from different ends of the spectrum and talk, talking about some of these topics are actually discussing the same thing. It's just that they don't understand it because we live in this very dualistic society, dualistic academic environment where certain things are on the table and certain things are verboten.
0: Well, yeah, just like um, alchemy became chemistry, magic never went away either. It was just renamed and retermed into things ranging from clinical psychology has aspects of it, uh, group dynamics, uh, conceptual art and then on to things like you know quantum theory and the rest the idea is always based on the same thing to alter the conception and the engagement with reality in front of you so there's no difference between say a magician of the past or a sorcerer of the past and uh, spellbinding people through a satire or through a, a some kind of magical conjuration that's issued or in a, in the terms of it an oratory of this kind of thing than a a mass marketing person getting you to buy a certain brand of soft drink or car or whatever using the elements of your psychology, your insecurities, your inclinations, your fears, your desires in order to do this, it's all magic. It's the same thing. It's just that like everything else, they've broken it down into specialized functions. But the ultimate obje- objective is to get the same. To get the person or the target to conform in 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 alliance or in, in alignment, sorry I should say, with the will of the sorcerer. Be the sorcerer a... A scientist at the Hadron Collider who's desperately trying to find the Higgs boson particle right up to a marketing person who's trying to sell someone
1: a a brand of beer during the Super Bowl halftime show. It's the same thing. Yes, we'll, we'll come back to two or three of those points that you touched on there in greater depth in due course. But thinking back to my beginnings with all of this, I... I had always a great interest in um, the occult and the unseen and unknown kind of forces at play in the world. Uh, but I think it was – I'd probably bought a few books, a few grimoires and a few coffee table book club books on the on, on magic and demonism and all the rest, which are probably very superficial and, and misleading and out of date. That When I got Colin Wilson's book, when I generally got into his work and I got my copy of The Occult, this would have been about 1984 – I realised the breadth of what he was writing about made sense, and that is, that's where it first started to occur to me that when I'd read Arthur C. Clarke talking about unseen forces and strange powers, and read about uh, the early you know started to read about quantum physics and started to read about read about paranormal and psychic phenomena, all this stuff happening as I mentioned earlier outside of our immediate five sense perception, it all came together, and I think that's why my understanding from an early stage of what magic might be was much broader, and that, as I mentioned earlier, it was not mutually exclusive with science, that there was a science of sorcery, which, you know, the title of this talk kind of alludes to.
0: Well, it's the same thing, really. I mean, ultimately, if you alter a person's behaviour by spellbinding them with with words or something, it's it's operating probably from the same forces, the unseen dynamics of both consciousness and the universe. Than if you then if you created a a means of doing it where you're not in, engaging with them, like for say through a sigil or something like that, it's still it's still operating under the same function because there's still an element of transmission between both bodies or both individuals or both parties involved in this that at at some level does not take place in the in the realm of what we call the the material scientific viewpoint. My sheer will of personality and character is not the only factor at work there. It doesn't explain everything. It doesn't explain the process completely. There is an unseen element, a, an agent, a, a conduit between both processes to get there. And it's exactly the same as if you're physically in the presence of the person and you're not. Obviously, it's just, it's a lot easier when you're there. But you remove that, say, that physical presence away. Say you're trying to pick up a, you're trying to, a person you have a, a romantic affection for. In person, it's easier to do that because you can directly engage with them. But you can still do it taken away at the next step by writing a love letter or a song or a poem and sending it to them as an email from the other side of the world. And then you can take to the next stage again. You may not even meet them. And if your partic- your will is particularly powerful, you can actually do a, true, a sigil or true a, a spell of some kind in your own home. And amazingly, although, you see, this is the thing with magic. It's not like what, you know, the old reductionist, you know, the old hoary chestnut are there. Well, you know, give me the winning lottery numbers for next week. The further you get away from the personal and more into the realm of the the non-material it doesn't mean it works less it just means that more will and concentration is needed to do it and it takes time it is an element of the gestation of that will between the uh the initiation and the target result and that's 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 the main thing here with these ideas it's just like we have high energy systems that could be 220 volts ac coming out of a turbine that's powered by Niagara Falls. We can go down to a low energy system where somebody can do something like a through Tai Chi or through Kung Fu and perhaps knock a person down with a one-inch punch that doesn't actually physically touch them, it doesn't matter. It's still an energy system. It's a low-energy system compared to the high-energy system, the I should say the crude energy systems that we have at the greater level, but it's the same thing. It's just that it's a way of harnessing the low-energy system in order to get the high-energy result on the end, and that's what magic can do. Magic can actually have an amplification and a a power-charging force to take your will through your consciousness out through your nervous system and actually transmit it like a power force
1: to the other side of the universe if you want to yeah and if you allow that everything is energy which is evident when you look at the, the basic science and that everything is interconnected is basically one holistic system and of course you could see how these cause and effect aspects could work you know all levels of reality right down to the crude kind of you know material 3d reality that we appear to be residing in exclusively now i I got a little book sometime in the 80s towards the late 80s and it was a little spell book and it was a contemporary book it wasn't uh you know an old book that was centuries old that had been reprinted and essentially it was a spell book and it had it was practically aimed uh practically directed as you know how you could get the things you wanted in your life and you, you write a book like that if you do it properly, you will sell a lot because people just seem to get these things, read them, fail to understand the basic principles, fail to achieve what they want in their life, and then move on to the next book. But anyway, through it, I came to understand, and by practicing this, because it was something that I wanted very much at that time, more than I ever wanted anything up to that point. And I followed some of the instructions in the book, and how can I kind of put it? It worked. And it was later on that I realized that what I was actually doing, the details of what were in the book were kind of neither here nor there. You would recognize them. They were simply a way to take your desire, to develop it, to focus it, to train it through your will, to state intent to and through ritual, ceremony, repetition, declaring your intent either verbally or in writing, the making of symbols, concentrating all of your will and energy on that outcome. Or in fact, as you would point out, on the, on the situation where that outcome has already been achieved, that can have an effect. Now it may be in the low percentage points on your reality, but that's a hell of a lot more than zero. Apart from learning about the possible mechanics of magic, of sorcery through going through that process myself. And by the way, I've never done anything like that since because it kind of, it was exhilarating, but I got warned off. And I will just say that the other lesson I took away from it was be careful what you wish for because you sometimes get what you, what you need and not what you want you always get what you need and
0: not what you want it there is a, a beautiful accounting system in the universe and it's brutally honest and it's it's a uh, it's it, you have to be careful uh, yes it works i've done it it's worked it it, it it absolutely works now it crowley said and it's true that magic is an art and a science it's a science in the specific processes will actually get you what you know your desires it's an art in the sense that some people are more talented than others, it's just the way some people are better at playing guitar than others, or anything than other, playing football than others, and they can get it easier. It's 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 a it's it. That's the that's the element that's often frustrating for people. But having said that, I'm a firm believer in that. If you put enough concentration into it, you can actually bring out these superhuman levels of intention into you. Regarding the not pushing it this is a very important message because uh, i got david conway's book when i was 11 and i'm not going to go into details but basically it was a way i tried to deal with a school bully and not only did it work but it worked to a frightening level now nothing blew back at me but it was something I never wanted to do again because it frightened me. At that age, as a little kid, I thought, you know, I made a pact with the devil or something like that. For of course, at that age, I was still, you know, as intelligent as I was at eleven years old, and as, as you know, compared to many kids I I lived with, in terms of my ability to read books that were way above, you know, my my station for that age group. It, it did. I was still a kid at that age, and it still affected me. And it wasn't until I got back much later, until I was in my late teens when I was in college, actually, that I got back into it again and started to, I would say, understand it better uh, because I was starting to develop an understanding of science and particularly electronics and things like that. I started to realize, oh, it's not anything essentially spooky, although it can be. There's actually a, a mechanism here that you can work with. But yes, you can. Like I always say to people, you know, you be careful what you wish for. You may create a sigil, or you may create a uh, a spell, or some kind of complex ritual where you want to say, "I want," where you want to get a million pounds or a million euros. Well, you might get that through a car accident, and it might be your compensation reward because you're paralyzed or something. So you must be extremely careful. The discipline involved in this is beyond the, the level of many sort of like casual people today. I don't mean to put that them down. I don't think they would fully understand just how deep this dive is. This is why I always try to say st- tell people it's probably best to deal with basic things like folk magic and those kinds of the, the magic of your grandparents and your, your great granny and so on. You probably have better a look with that than you will with actually going in the deep end straight off it's almost like voting i've got to the stage in my life now where i don't think people should be allowed to vote until they're like had a, a family and a life and they jobs and paid taxes i feel the same way about magic it's it's probably it's probably a great one to get into when you're in your 40s or something
1: like that well i'll tell you later on off air what it, what, what i did and what happened because i don't want to talk about it now there's, just to move on to another section early on in your book, uh, there's a great way that you illustrate another dimension of all this, that you talk about the Cthulhu myth- mythos of H.P. Lovecraft, and you point out that how this has become something, it's in, in popular culture, I mean it's still a sort of cult underground thing, but since he conceived of it, of that of that kind of world and those creatures and that, that vision of the universe, it has grown and grown and grown since his death. And... It's become something that is on one level of reality, real. But it's got to the point now where some people are thinking, they're saying, "Well, yeah, I'm just fascinated by the idea of, the, of this the world where these creatures might exist." And well, who's to say that they don't? It hasn't been disproved, you know. And that starts to have an effect on people's minds, and it spreads. And it occurred to me that. Material manifestation is not always necessary to have effects in the real world. And that's a bit like the power of belief in religions. What happens to people? How do people's lives change? And how does the world around them change? If they, for example, truly believe that Jesus Christ was a real historical figure, did the things ascribed to him, and they then live their lives based on that, that has effects. Ditto with mythology. For some people, superheroes become more real than the people in their, the real people, the actual people in their own lives. Yeah, well, Lovecraft, to me,
0: personally, has been as much an influence in my life as Colin Wilson, Joseph Campbell, and Carl Jung. I mean, his stories are just still mind-blowing to me, as simple as they are, but that's probably what they are. They're, They're probably modern parables for the age that we live in now the book itself is kind of written as a bit of a magical journey itself so as you notice as you read source of the invocation of strangers it begins with me talking about the depths of the human subconscious mind using the out the allegory of cthulhu and the possibility of could then i bring cthulhu to the i also draw an analogy with the loch ness monster and the loss of paganism and the creation of christianity then bringing the two of the together up into the surface as well what 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 is cthulhu is cthulhu literally just giant monster coming out of the ocean to destroy man but no it's actually it's exactly what it was what what lovecraft said it would be it was an annihilation of the cognitive processes within the contemporary culture now we know that he was a tortured and complicated man he was he definitely was somebody who did not deal well with modernity and changes in society. So Cthulhu, through these dreams and visions, he was also a reluctant shaman, even though he claimed he didn't believe in that stuff. Came into his consciousness as a way of him expressing his subconscious fears about the the, the upswell from below. In his case, it was immigrants flooding in from in, in from Eastern Europe and so on into America, uh, poor people, this kind of thing. And this, he being a typical Yankee snob, this what affected him deeply. And this goes to show you why why you know we should never have censorship or you know never ha- why political correctness is so unbelievably dangerous. Because here was a guy who was politically incorrect, but that manifested something that helped everyone deal with the issue later on and what's Cthulhu today Cthulhu today is similar ideas people feeling lost in these massive changes in society as things like the Frankfurt School critical theory takes over and you don't know who's a man who's a woman who's gay who's straight what's up left down where everything is confused our minds are being deliberately torn asunder by the mass media who's also going through their own Cthulhu Self destruction of their own in the face of new kinds of social media and things like YouTube, and it's very interesting. You then start to see you when you when you when you relate to them in this kind of mythological, way, you automatically are stepping into a magic circle of a better le- level of understanding about of yourself, art, society, and so on. And when you can, if you manage to do this, you can definitely escape. And I've been talking about this in my books, like the the Ambul of the Psyche. You can definitely harness these as forces rather to feed your creativity rather than allow them to wash over you and be annihilated by the surface level conventions of what you're told they are everything is an opportunity everything is energy and this is the the magnificence of, of Lovecraft's legacy is that it's applicable to so many things ranging from psychology to social issues and so on it's all there Cthulhu has risen Cthulhu will rise Cthulhu will always rise but the thing is how to deal with it in a way that it does not destroy your cognition and the way you do not destroy your cognition is to learn to put a saddle on the devil's back I say and, and ride the thing or put a saddle on Cthulhu's back and learn how to ride it to a better version of reality and maybe in a more improved version of purgatory or something or whatever recurring experience on this five sense reality but this stuff is incredibly powerful and you, this is, the book is deliberately written to take people through this sort of like st- psychological process almost nurture them along the way and that's why I start in the depths of the ocean, come up with conscious rising up, the idea of the moon fire, the uh, the beginning of logos and symbolism and so on because it's really a lot of people have not had that in their education and i thought that this book might be a good a good opportunity to almost bring people on a kind of a a light shamanistic journey up to their own subconscious by
1: reading the book themselves a few minutes ago when i talked about that little spell book that i got um, I spoke about it in terms of, you know, one of these popular books that uh, advertise themselves, people can get, you know, change your life for the better, you know, live your dreams. And that brings us on, talking about the mechanics of all this once again, it brings us on to that, that popular sort of meme of these days of manifesting uh, everything from the book, The Secret onwards. And as I mentioned earlier, there is something to this and that's what these books and these gurus and everything else are trying to, maybe they don't even understand themselves, that they're trying to tap into, but they don't. You don't understand what it is they're dealing with. And by this, I'm referring mostly to the readers of, of such books, not necessarily that the authors. And they also fundamentally don't believe it can work. Even if they begin to grasp the mechanics, they don't really believe it can work. So therefore it doesn't. And it's very interesting that the, the granddaddy of all these self-help books, I think, is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which came out, you know, in the early 20th century. And I, after getting a copy of it, and on the front it said, now completely restored and complete, or something along those lines. I remember thinking, I wonder what they mean. And I later found out that it went through a period of publication, because it's never been out of print, but it went through a a number of versions where what I can only describe as the esoteric component had been removed. Now, Napoleon Hill well understood this, because when you read the sections of the book, but that was taken out because it was seen as like, well, this is kind of mumbo-jumbo. You know, it's just a positive thinking book. But actually... Without the, um, this other component, it was just kind of like, yay, you know, punch the air, you know, like, think positive, put, get, put pictures of the things you want on your fridge with magnets, that type of thing, you know, which of course is not going to work. And surprise, surprise, it didn't. So that's very, very telling that his exploration of other levels of reality and forces that can operate that we don't understand, but we can harness. I just think it's very significant that was a major component of it. And it remains that way until people grasp that then they're not going to see the sort of results that a lot of these books, and let's face it, they're proliferating at a, a greater rate than ever. They're not going to see the sort of results that these um, these books and these gurus promise. But having said that, I'm sure there's many people who had The Secret and it worked.
0: And you know, it's just, I'm sure that there was a, there's plenty of people who've got a lot from things like The Secret and these kinds of ideas and Books written by the likes of Deepak Chopra, if you know, it's very easy to discount them as twee, but they are in their own way very kind of simplified grimoires. They're they're basically the, they're basically guiding people on magical ideas. Of course, they don't use that kind of thing because of cultural. And social taboos regarding using terms like magic and sorcery but that's basically what it is at the end of the day now some people like I said will have a natural talent or inclination to this thing they'll read something like the secret or some other book in that genre and it will happen they will get what they want in a spectacular way and they'll be able to do it over and over again and so, when people say, oh, these books are completely, you know, ridiculous or they're completely fraudulent, I disagree completely with that because I think that, they're, that they're, again, it's that idea of uh, the, the natural magician. Some people have this incredible natural inclination to make it happen. Some people will actually get results from those books through naivety. Remember... Basically, the belief is that everything is, if, as soon as you want something, the intention, it's happened. It's gone from zero to ten. The only thing is that you become, and you and your cognition, your psychology, and your neuroses have be, then become an inhibitor for that number ten to happen. So you start, it, it shoots off at number ten, and then all of a sudden, either s- instinctual or suppressed or subliminal self, self-doubts kick in, uh, and lack of self-confidence. And suddenly, you're not getting to that number ten. It's there all the time, but you're uh, you're in, 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 uh, you know you're inhibiting it. Well, you may get in those types of things people who are incredibly innocent and naive, who don't ha- suffer from you know. I'm not saying they're shallow. They may have a different kind of more laid-back world view, and they don't maybe think as deeply as the rest of us. And they will do things like that and have amazing success. And that's 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 a huge factor of it too. But I, I agree with you about, I, I didn't know that they took out the esoteric, that's a very interesting thing, point, I never knew that, that they took
1: the esoteric stuff out of his books, and uh, probably because they knew it worked. But, well, you know what, sounds a bit conspiratorial, but that point has been made by more than one commentator, and I absolutely think there is something, me, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation otherwise, there is something to the principles expounded in books like Think and Grow Rich, and even The Secret, which by the way, I've never read, I've just glanced at it, but I understand what it's about. It was simply that a lot of the people getting these books, looking at websites, listening to talks, they want to make these changes in their life, but they would be, many of them, let's just, you know, I'll qualify a little bit what I said earlier, many of them might be very dismissive of some of the stuff that you're talking about in your book but at the same time they want to think that by somehow really wanting something very much and and wishing and having dream boards and all the rest of it that changes might happen in their life and it maybe doesn't occur to them well that's involving if that happens it's involved some kind of force what is that and then if they realize that it was a that it was a, a thing that they can harness and that is real it's we can't look at it we can't weigh it we don't know what color it is we don't know what it smells like but it's there so i think it's just the disconnect between acknowledgement that there are forces at work beyond our five senses and but you know people who want to make changes in their life in their reality but they're coming from an absolutely materialistic reductionist worldview that denies anything like that's possible i also think there's an element
0: of purity of intent and I often find this idea this, this, this kind of thing interesting because it suggests another force outside ourselves or an aspect of our consciousness we're not aware of, that the purity or the the benevolence of the intent seems to come with uh, better results. So for instance, if if you know some guy wants to wants to get a million euros so he can run off on his family and, and shack up with a supermodel, it probably does go wrong. But if one guy wants to get him, do this process to get a million euros or a million pounds or a million dollars to improve the life and quality of his family, his wife and children and so on, it, it, it see, there seems to be a, and a kind of a, a Faustian modifier, and I just came up with that term just now, but in the background, that sort of like says, oh, well, what do you want it for really? And what are you really after with this? And, you know, this, we're now going into the realms of black magic and things like that. But, but yes, there just, there seems to be, along with the process, almost like an arbiter that sits halfway in the process that's almost like, and it could be us now, it could be an element of our own consciousness that we're not aware of, that's that's, that's actually going, okay, are you worthy of this and do you really deserve it? Or are you being, Pathological in this, and do you need a cosmic kick up the ass?
1: What do you think of the idea then? And I kind of know the answer to this, but just for listeners, of the idea that there is a, a sort of a cosmic sense of of right and wrong, of good and evil. Uh, some people would say, well, yes, these non-material forces are there, but it's completely neutral. There's no black, there's no white either way. It's you know, it's the universe doesn't care about that sort of thing, and yet. There seems to be evidence for, as you say, purity of intent and that people wishing bad things on other people without good reason or with any other sort of malign intent can very often have this blow up on them very badly. And those that genuinely want good, even if it's for themselves, but not at other people's expense, but particularly good for others or good for everyone, are not really in danger of having something catastrophic come from all of this. Well, the the danger comes, and the actual good comes from the
0: fact that you've entered the magic circle. Remember, it is there. there, As as you said at the beginning, there is nothing. You know, there are until you enter into the magic circle. So, the best way I could describe that is: if kicking a football with your friends in the park is just kicking a football with your friends in the park, but when you enter into a football match, a proper football game, you have a referee and you have match officials and suddenly it's very different so therefore there's an arbitrary an you know a a a modifying force within there to see that the rules are adhered so it's only in normal everyday non-magical life there is nothing to it It, you 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 live by the whims and fortunes of this is why i i I, i tell people to learn magic and sorcery i know this sounds weird but it's actually a good thing it's just like learning how to be creative you 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 can benefit in lots of ways. There is protection there. There is help there. Again, it's from this like modifier or this kind of refereeing force in the in the cosmos. But it only comes into effect when you enter into the magic circle when you embark on the magical part. So even someone picking up the secret or any one of those uh, power of intention books, is already as entered into a kind of magic circle to begin with. So it's happened, but so it seems to be innate in inert. T- there's an inertia to this force until you specifically walk along that path. It's just like the fool card in the tarot You're, you, you don't exist until you become the fool. when you become the fool well there's a, there's a, there's a little dog at your feet at your feet barking saying, "Watch out, watch out there's a cliff ahead and so that's what it is. You enter into the magic circle, then this modifier
1: then this this sense of judgment then kicks in so that in that case there'll be individuals who are in the arena. They've walked into the arena knowing what the arena is. There's people who are outside the arena just wandering around out there who don't even know the arena exists. And then there's people who've inadvertently wandered into the arena without really knowing what's, that they've changed, that where they are is different.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely, yeah.
1: So, um, mind over matter, uh, you know, which is a, another way of expressing some of the concepts we're talking about here. I mean, this has been proved, uh, even under laboratory conditions, but because it's very difficult to repeat many of these sorts of experiments. I'm talking about, say, for example, psychic phenomena now, uh, and other similar um, manifestations of this, uh, because it's difficult to repeat, difficult to quantify. Um, it's not generally accepted. So, in all the years I've been looking at this, I found I can I can get good evidence uh, for mind over matter in, in many different forms, but it's not been integrated into mainstream version of reality because of this inconsistency in it uh so that's that's curious in itself um there's many many researchers have been working on this now for a long time many of them eminent scientists actually so but it's a bit like the ram the ramifications of quantum physics you know it's almost like for many people it's like well yeah you know we know that but then they don't follow through with like what does that mean so you can do uh laboratory controlled experiments good quality ones that demonstrates psychic phenomena, but it's kind of like, well, that was interesting. Let's move on. It doesn't mean anything. Well, in fact, it does.
0: Well, you can you can get the results and repeat them. The problem is is that you can't quantify them against any kind of baseline. This seems to be the common problem. the 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 empirical method requires a basically a a a, a strict repeat of the of the process, and therefore it can validate it. Well, this is like, uh, you compare that in, in things like Mind Over Matter or anything like that, you, you will not happen in the same way that you could get 10 jazz musicians together and say to them, okay, and give them 20 minutes to go off on a free-form jazz jam that lasts for 20 minutes. And when it's over, come back the next night and say, okay, guys, I want you to repeat what you did last night, and I want to hear the same intonation, the same, exact same time changes, the numbers of measures and the beats, and, and all the same chord sequences in everything, including where you were standing on the stage, as you were last night when all that happened, exactly and precisely, like a recording. And this, you can't do that, and it's the exact same thing with these mind over map things, because they come from the same world as art. They come from the same kind of ideas they come from nature nature does, is not nature is not is not perfectly mechanical, and yet we have these robot minds who are actually trapped within this kind of paradigm saying, well why can't you repeat the, the, the same things the same things exactly it's because their criteria and their for replication of these effects is far too narrow and far too strict it's because it i mean it, that's great for running a, a, a you know an algorithm in a computer or synthesizing a a, you know a a chemical or something like that but it will not work in something like that and this has been always been the problem it's it's not that they it doesn't repeat itself it does repeat itself it's just that the the fluctuations between results are way outside the paradigms
1: and the demarcation lines of what the empirical method requires well, that reminds me of a point I've made many times on here, and I think I may have said in our last interview that uh someone would would be responding to some of what you said about these experiments and the difficulty with um exact replication. Oh well, that's not very scientific then is it And it occurred to me many years ago well what why science? why does science or being scientific have to be the baseline for something for reality or truth? you know why do things have to be scientific in order to be uh, worthwhile, if you see what I mean, or to be meaningful, it's almost like, well, oh yeah, anything that's not scientific is a bit of fun, a bit of ephemera, but it doesn't really have any meaning. It doesn't matter. Matter is the only thing that matters. And in our lives, and this includes the lives of materialist scientists, by the way, we experience reality as subjective, and yet that's almost like that's all set aside uh, for the sake of the belief that reality is, in fact, thoroughly objective. And that anything that we perceive differently or feel differently, the feeling in our gut, our intuition, all of that is, no matter, even though that provides us with some of the most meaningful experiences of our lives, it's meaningless, apparently. Because, again, in a lab, we can't see it, we can't put it in a test tube and heat it up, we can't weigh it, we can't count it. Uh, but when you take the idea of reality being subjective and extend it out, you then begin to understand, as you point out in the book, that many elements of reality are, in fact, optional or in some way malleable, including Time and space, and of course, our experience of, in particular, time, is highly subjective. We all understand uh, time flying when you're having a good time. Everybody experiences that. We know that's real, but what you know, does, it, does it show up on your screens and your monitoring devices? Well, no, it doesn't. Well, you know, no, no modern physicist, word to salt, would even believe, refer to something
0: like time. It would be called like a a quantum measurement or something like this. It's totally, it's totally personal it's totally something that exists inside our own cognition and it is the first indication many people get of godhood which is ultimately what what learning about the path of magic and sorcery is about it's it's moving to, to being a type of god and yes you can you are like you said you can I, I give the analogy in the book of like why a kettle never takes forever to boil and why you can watch like an exciting football or a sports game or a concert that you're really enjoying and it just flies now that's that's because there is no such thing as time really now there are there's that's the cognition that that shows that the the clock speed of our brain is totally determinant according to external factors or, or should i say not totally but can be totally conformed to external factors which is why they've always the, the control grid has always had a, a tremendous in, interest in timekeeping you know clocking on to work clocking out this kind of thing timetables and so on it works very well in terms of running a railway or running an airline but it doesn't work particularly well in terms of running your old life because it's 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 often out of sync with natural cycles and so on so we you know natural cycles are very very different than what we have the time on a clock our relationship with them is much more symbiotic and it's much more spiritually psychologically and biochemically connected to things like seasonal changes they it also enforces a it's the interesting thing about it is the seasonal changes enforce a sense of timelessness in us because we know that when winter happens, spring always returns, that certain stars will always be in the sky at a certain time of year, that certain planets will do the same, that the sun and the moon and other objects will appear and rise at certain points. We know that that's eternal, so that gives us a sense of the eternal. But when we're subject to the the time of the control grid, the the clock speed imposed upon us by society and so on we have a sense that there isn't enough time there's not enough time because where's time go time flies I'm out of time but no one's out of time you're not but if we were early primal man or woman would have not felt that sense that time is just is too short or too long it was just right it was just right and therefore they 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 took comfort in the fact that secular events and the turning of the seasons represented a kind of immortality. And we've lost that. And that's also part of the reason that time is a very frustrating experience for modern people.
1: Whether you believe, actually, that uh, there's some kind of collective consciousness, you know, a, a universal consciousness that we are all individuated parts of, there does seem to be an element of co-creation of our reality. And just as we were talking about uh, our inner Desires are deepest parts of our consciousness manifesting somehow on the physical plane. That does seem to work at a collective level. And you've written many times about, you know, the species kind of pulling one direction or another or pushed or driving itself in one way. And this has real effects in the world. And I like to say that the external reality that we see when you look out the window or look on the television that is a reflection of what is inside you and i and everyone else collectively Uh, we may not like it it may not be our design but it's a kind of a net result of the whole if you see what i mean and there's a section in the book where you talk about about the moon in this respect Uh, it's it's just one little detailed sort of vignette that you have there about how this might be functioning not an unpopular idea by any means in fact i would say it's a popular idea currently, about the cosmos itself, the universe in its entirety, being some kind of physical manifestation of of a collective consciousness, you know, of like the one being that that's the basis um, of everything. So I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there, but just respond to any aspect of that that you can.
0: Well, I mean, there's so many places that this can go. That's why you went off on a tangent. Uh, you're referring to the part in the book where I had this remarkable dream and I'm a, I'm very much a great proponent of keeping dream journals and dream diaries and observing dreams and trying to proactively affect your dreams. But back in the early 2000s, it was 2000 I think actually, I had a very profound dream that it was around the time that I was wondering why the moon, now there's loads of all these theories that the moon is a spaceship and the moon was pulled into position around this planet and all as many other theories, that the, but the moon doesn't make a lot of sense in many ways. It's too big a satellite for this planet. It, 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 it does remarkable Unbelievable things that most people aren't aware of, such as when the moon rises just above the horizon, it's something like 20 or 25% bigger than what it is when it's up above the sky. And to this day, no scientist can explain why the moon is gigantic when it rises above the horizon. This is just a, a complete and utter mystery. And and these other kind of things, how it perfectly regulates our seasons, our our, our climate, and also things like the perfect eclipse it gives us. And I was just, like, mulling these things over, and I was saying, oh, the moon is just so interesting. And and then one night I had this remarkable dream that I don't know where it came from, but it was like a voice. It was almost like an oracle, a voice told me. Not in words, but in kind of feelings and moods that... Human consciousness, and we're back to the oceans, back to Lovecraft again, once resided in the very depths of the ocean as a kind of a primordial form of consciousness, as this kind of like these kinds of beasties or whatever, in order to get to the surface of the planet, which it could not survive on because the only place that was habitable, and habitable on the Earth at that time was the very depths of the oceans, was to somehow regulate the climate and regulate the Earth in order to calm it down. And human consciousness at the bottom of the ocean, it dreamed the moon into existence. And the moon, the moon became a regulating factor for the planet in order for the climate to, stay, to, to stabilize. And this is how human consciousness, or the collective unconscious, or whatever, Rose to the surface of the ocean and moved onto the air to become what we are today. Again, this, and then when I woke up, it was exactly three thirty-three a.m. on my clock, uh, my my digital clock, which is you know the height of the witching hour as they call it. And then I looked out my window, and there, rising over the Irish Sea, was a sliver of a crescent moon. Now that to me was just a beautiful moment. It wasn't frightening or anything like that. But back to the collective unconscious, yeah, I absolutely do believe in that that concept. All you have to do is look at 9-11. Look at how many people, album covers, TV shows, you name it, I won't use the word predicted, but basically outlined the, what would happen on 9-11, on September 11, 2001. Everything, the famous Bart Simpson holding up the 9-11 sign, all, all the way to that famous album cover by the band called The Coup, party music, that shows the 9-11 attack on the cover of the album, which has been released during the nine eleven attack, and they had to pull the printing of the press uh, of the of the pressing of the album because of the album cover was was exactly what was happening on nine eleven. These are not predictions. What these are is a, 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 when you have a ca- catastrophic cosmic event like that, it's like dropping a pebble into a, a pool or dropping a stone into a pool. And sometimes, if it's a big enough splash, the the ripples of that, the quantum ripples, go back in time and pair people, all, nearly always artists, I might say, just like in The Call of Cthulhu, it was the artists who became aware of that there was something happening first. Pick up on this before anyone. It was a classic Jungian idea. And, uh, you know, th- that nine eleven alone proves that the collective unconscious is real. Just the, the sheer number, and incredible number of, of artists who basically illustrated it before it, it happened.
1: Oh, that, I mean, I was going to come to 9-11 later on, and I may still do that, but a lot of people say, you know, quite glibly, oh, you know, the world changed on 9-11. Usually these are just news pundits who are just trying to uh, join politicians in justifying an agenda, but it absolutely changed my consciousness. There's no question about it. I would say it raised it, uh, and I know that in itself is quite a cliched phrase these days it's sort of like it sounds all very new agey but i know what i mean by it and i'm sure you understand it so it's not that i was somehow stumbling blindly through uh life the universe and everything prior to that but it, it flicked a switch if you see what i mean it opened another gate something something definitely changed then it's it's uh and it, it's it's been changing for, for the better since i would say
0: a billion years ago in a billion years from the future on another planet they'll be talking about nine eleven. We are very blessed, I know, looking in hindsight, at the time it was a horrific mass murder, but uh, we are blessed to have witnessed that because they lost control that day. And I hear people saying things like, oh, we won't have any justice until, you know, arrested and so on, or who was actually responsible and all. It It doesn't matter who's responsible for it. It did its job. It blasted open a Stargate. It literally blasted open a Stargate. And we are living in a post-9-11 world that has nothing to do with the, the world that came before it. Now, people say, well, w-, you know, they hear this nonsense all the time, but there's going to be a Great Awakening? The Great Awakening happened when the Second Tower fell. That was the Great Awakening. It happened at that moment. The negative space between those two towers became a stargate. It doesn't matter if, if Al-Qaeda did it, if Bart Simpson did it, if George Bush did it. I don't even care at this point anymore. I just know what happened that day was, was it, as you said, it. it is a, a factor of change that is, is people still haven't come to terms with. it. I also believe that many of the conspiracy theories that are put out there have been put out by the, the powers that be. In an element to trying to derail people from coming to understand the the spiritual aspects of nine eleven, because let me put that, let me let me make this quite clear to people listening to your show, if you if you if you if you nine eleven or lived through it, you went through the greatest spiritual event that ever happened on this planet, ever. You know that 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 I can think of recorded. You went through it, and so you know. How can you say it's spiritual? It, look how it affected people. just look. Just look at the world before nine eleven, and look at it now. Look at the shows like this. Look at people like me. Look at how everything has changed. Look how the the the, the whole zeitgeist has morphed reality was smashed open you know in many ways it was a horrible thing but then again you know i'm not trying to be cold are we talking about things like human sacrifice here I don't know. I don't know. I'm not that smart in, in terms of things like that. Because at the end of the day, I really don't care about the specifics of 9-11. What I care about is the effects. And the effects have been absolutely colossal. And people really need to start, particularly in the alternative scene, they really start to give up the ghost. And I think many of them are on the whole conspiracy thing. And start to see, like, what has this thing done really? And what it's done is it, 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 it's it's... I can't even find a words to describe it but yeah, as you said, it's been a change and it's been, for people who have actually grasped it in, in, in a positive way, and when I say positive, I mean finding meaning from it, rather than being being an internal prisoner of it it's been very beneficial in
1: their lives Oh yeah, absolutely, and as, as I said a moment ago, I, I feel that way well, I would say that all of this is telling us then, that if these there are these forces at work, then to tie it back to what we were saying earlier, the whole topic really the the overarching topic of this conversation sorcery if the reality is being co-created then it can be affected by the collective and by individuals by you and i and and you listening to this Uh, we can do that and on on that basis actually i would simply say what i feel to be the case what feels right to me is as far as not something like 9-11 is concerned we all did that consciously and unconsciously that's that's our work that's that's something that we collectively made happen oh, i feel the same way too it was almost like we collectively
0: aborted the shadow of where we had come to by that point nothing was ever going to become the same ever again it was almost like a miscarriage of consciousness it had to come out it, you know we were living in a very superficial fake world and you know at least it blasted a but i have to say i know so many people now who Ten years ago, even five, even two years ago, if you mentioned nine eleven in any way, they didn't even they didn't want to talk about it, or else they would say something like, uh, "Oh, you know, the conspiracy theory. Don't you know, don't don't go there with that stuff." And I wouldn't even bring the conspiracy. Just the, very, the sheer mention of the word was taboo. I notice so many people now, amazingly, who say things like, "You know, the more I think about nine eleven, it was just weird, wasn't it? It was just strange." And I'd say, "What do you mean?" And they might talk about the building set or other things. And I would say things like, well, we got an insight in, you know, when it happened and I didn't see it on TV, uh, and that's probably good because I didn't directly get hit by the spell. I was working at a place I didn't have access to a television. Uh, My overriding sense later on when I came up and started to see the the video and the tv films that i did not see broadcast live was an overriding sense of evil and i still feel that now whatever evil is i feel that that there was e- evil there and i think that's that that's why people were so quick to see simulacrum of devil faces in the smoke and things like that because the subconscious mind is a great way of of talking to you in in those kinds of ways in symbols, but it knows no other way to do it so your intu- intuition was like there's something not right here it doesn't feel like just what it is There's something darker and then you might notice these devil faces in the smoke and things like that as the burning tower now they, that doesn't that mean as a devil manifesting but your your brain your subconscious mind has alerted your cognition to take note of these shapes to give you a an insight into, there is something very dark going on here, and I think that was the ones who who were immediately or in the in the aftermath who went into that conspiracy world or get went into the darkness of nine eleven, should we say? Ultimately, it was a kind of a rebirth. It was almost like surviving a a terrible disease or something, and then coming out the other end and feeling like a kid again and then you have the people who were negatively affected by 911. Now we were all negatively affected to some degrees because there there was a there was a sense of pure evil and darkness that came from it. But there's people who get trapped in the darkness. They the pathological relationship with everything about the conspiratorial aspect of 911 True or not that's their own decision to, to to follow those paths, but I often feel that that was part of black magic's spell of nine eleven as well because as soon as those towers drop the conspiracy theory started lining up the internet and I'm not so sure that they developed from the grassroots up and that's why I've always believed 9-11 the conspiracy is the conspiracy on many levels that's why I've always avoided the conspiratorial aspects of 9-11 with a 10-foot pole and instead the the things that interest me are the effects it had on human consciousness and I think if if for the most part it's been a, a positive thing I think I think there was a sense before nine eleven that the world was just going to drudge on into a kind of a bureaucratic and governmental hellhole where nothing would ever really change, and I think that's changed since then. I think there's far more apathy in society than there used to be, and there's far more uh, cynicism of politicians than there used to be. Eve and I think a lot of that is because of the Stargate of nine eleven opening up and killing the killing the the. Uh, The political system, and we're still seeing it in things like you know, it's it's still we're still in a gestated process. It's not something that's over and done with. You know, we've seen this with last year with the growth of monetics and things like Keck and that whole thing. This is fascinating stuff. If anyone's not paying attention, you really should be. That we're entering into a new. A new paradigm, a, a new reality, where the rules of the game have changed. And you can actually see the old world, the old mainstream world, going bananas. They cannot understand or come to grips with anything that's changing now because they're not in touch with the masses, and the masses are going one direction, and the control system is going another, and it's becoming increasingly apparent. And that's only because of the black magic spell of nine eleven backfired on the people who did it.
1: That concludes part one of our interview. Be sure to tune in next week for part two. If you enjoyed the show, check out the website, which is legalisefreedom.com. That's legalized-freedom.com, where you'll find an archive of programs offering alternative views on a wide range of topics, including politics and economics, energy and environment, culture, spirituality, history, and the nature of reality. Until next time, I'm Greg Moffat, and you've been listening to Legalizefreedom.com.